0: Welcome back to the podcast. It's your host, John Scardina. I am so excited for this episode. I have now a recurring team coming on to the show. We've had Andy John here a couple times with VDEM, Virginia Department of Emergency Management. Now we have Dylan Taylor on here. It's going to be a great episode. We typically talk from one perspective of emergency management or another. We haven't had a really a legal perspective, so we finally get that perspective on our show. We're really excited. This guy is decked out. If you're watching, you'll know, but if you're if you're listening, he has the hat, he has the shirt, he has all the things, he looks good. He was a firefighter for 10 years and uh, then went to law school. We'll talk about that for a little bit. But I, again, I'm so excited for this episode. Dylan, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks, John. Uh, and just to clarify for anyone listening, uh, the only reason I'm decked out is because it makes uh, my life easier in the morning to put a hat and jacket on and then I don't have to make any decisions. <laughs>
0: you know what uh i get that half the time um well i go to church and uh, i typically wear a white shirt but if i don't want to iron that shirt it's a nice sweater sweater sunday right. every sunday exactly. in the middle of july <laughs> that's awesome so let's let's talk about first of all our good friend annie john you guys yeah. worked together five years want to give a nice big shout out to him he's such a sounds like a good friend of yours he's a great friend of he mine is, yeah and uh wanna, so what is your what is your working relationship? What is his role versus your role right now? Because I think he switched about a year ago, I think.
1: Yeah, uh, so Andy's one of the best in the country. Um, I've learned a ton from Andy. Um, I started about five years ago. I think he had started a couple of years before that, and he's been moving up um, the pathways on the disaster services side. So our boots on the ground folks that respond and help with our localities and incidents. And then I've been more on the policy side. So when I started, I was doing legislative mm-hmm. affairs, government affairs. And he taught me a lot, has mentored me through the years. Um, he recently took over the uh, division director position of the western part of the Commonwealth. Um, so he's in charge mm-hmm. of literally the western part of uh, the entire Commonwealth of Virginia, and then some flood intelligence units. And he's really developing those pieces uh, moving forward. So. Um, as we're both kind of moving through the agency, um, I always looked to him to kind of gut check me, to teach me. Uh, and then I'm, I'm sure you've heard him talk about his type one mentality. He told me about that the other mm-hmm. day and it just, it's been, it's been resonating in the back of my mind ever since. So, uh, yeah, Andy's, yeah, that so. was,
0: yeah, he, uh, he's definitely a protege of Roddy Melsick, our former boss. Those uh, you who know, I, I worked with, uh, Andy before as well. And that type one mentality, uh, is so huge. Uh, maybe we'll have him back on sometime, but, uh, he speaks so it's funny. Like when I, when you talk about Andy, he's, you know, uh, you say all these good things when Andy talks about you, he says all these good things. I think on LinkedIn actually was the reason you're the reason or he's the reason why you're right. yeah. on, on the podcast right now. Right. Yeah. So yeah, we just kind of know
1: each other back and forth whenever we say something nice.
0: Yeah. It's kind of funny. I, Cause I asked, I asked you before we record, i like, how well do you guys know each other? Because he had said so many good things about you. I was like like how does like the council versus his role work? But it sounds like uh, you guys have done quite a bit together. And yeah, my, you know, just to be clear, my job is
1: to support him doing his job. At, at, fundamentally, I'm the background support so he can do his job better.
0: That's how I look at it. Well, let's start with that then, because from a legal perspective, or from a support perspective, um, you know, we really tried to dive into uh, essentially how does this whole thing look? Emergency management is so complex, right? Right. Uh, from your role, like what are your like, I don't know, top n- n- one, two, three priorities for your job right now? Yeah, I think
1: complexity is kind of the, the name of the game. And then, you know, before we kind of hop in, you know, John, kudos to you and your team, i uh, for bringing these together and kind of uh, the, the, the coalition of, of podcasts really uh, highlight the emergency management arena. Um, It is changing dramatically and it is so complex. So the more people that we can get into this environment to help us drive it uh, forward for the future, um, I'm sure they're listening right now and have been to your podcast. So you should be proud of that.
0: Um, Thank you.
1: In terms of priorities. um, And and if, and if you ever want to join one of our weekly all hands and we can talk about that Um, in terms of priorities, my main priority is making sure our, our people Uh, our teammates, you know, some people use employees, we use the word teammate here, Um, they have these pesky little things called lives that come with them, right? And so you can't separate the two. And especially when we've been working as hard as emergency managers have across the country, but very specifically here in in the Commonwealth, uh, there's so many stressors that are out there. And if we're not acknowledging the fact that we all come with lives and those lives are inherently stressful as well. And then you can't sometimes separate the two. That's my concern. Um, so one of my main things is making sure our people, uh, feel safe, you know, that psychological safety, they feel taken care of because at the end of the day, we can't help anybody else unless our people are taken care of and they feel ready to go and that they're, they're supported and part of a team, uh, and that we're there to get their back. Uh, the second piece is that understanding, uh, where are the gaps? So the way I've, I've explained this to me or to, to folks in the, in, in the past, for me, um, they say, what, 75% of stats are made up on the spot. But it's something that, like, the, a certain percentage of your uh, communication is nonverbal. So that's body language. So organizations have body language. So in, in a role like mine, your responsibility is to walk into a room and read the body language of the agency or, or the organization or the team that's there and pick up what's not being said. So that's the part I then key in on is the gray space, what's not being said, and then pull those threads out diplomatically so we can bring them up and, and you know kind of get that discussion, get it out on the table, because if it's left unsaid, it's gonna be left undone, and then that's just gonna kind of fester. Um, and then the third thing I think is, is what do we look like, not only as an agency, but as an industry, as a profession, as a culture, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, rarely do we have an opportunity to pick our heads up long enough to say what we're doing today impacts the folks that are looking to get into emergency management next year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, because we're all very aware of the systems and structures that were either benefiting from or uh, may not be so great. And that was all set and established 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago. So just that the the person focused, the agency team focused, and then kind of the industry focus, those are kind of
0: how I map what I see. Real quick, we're going to pause for this week's Disaster Tough endorsements. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at dobermanemg.com today. The L3Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue and collapse and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3Harris Extreme 400P radio at L3Harris.com right now. Instinct Ready kits are awesome, compact, fully loaded, and easy to place around your office, school, campus, warehouse, wherever. I keep a quick pack in my vehicle and one at home. Imagine Instinct Ready fully loaded Stop the Bleak kits in every school and office. Get Instinct Ready kits and training at InstinctReady.com. Okay, let's jump back in. Um, for the sake of what you just said, I think you just summarized the Disaster Tough podcast. So I'd like to let my audience know that we just found the replacement for John's starting the Disaster. Seriously, like everything you just talked about, like there's so much to unpackage there. And uh, let's start with uh, like that the people perspective, that team perspective. We also like calling, uh, you know, everybody teams or teammates. I think that's a fantastic way. I think it's a, you know... It, it, it kind of pairs with your third your third side of that or your third point uh, with building culture. Emergency management has been such a hodgepodge of like historical norms versus like what's actually happening in reality now. Some outdated, some, you know, not everything historical is outdated. Some things are, tr- are true and proven traditions that should continue. Other things should fall off. And what we've been trying to attack is like, um essentially uh like addressing the lack of standardization culture and um influence in emergency management emergency management could be so much more influential if they accessed all the tools readily available to them one of which is being a team going in as a team if emergency management is viewed as a as a team perspective now that you're in public side but even the private side how many emergency managers are listening to this podcast right now where they're a team of one and they're, they're working for a huge hospital system or they're a university. And it's like, Hey, like if, if we had a culture and if we had a standardization that there's a minimum team here, now that team doesn't need to be always 50 people, right? It can be two, three, four people, but one person does planning. Another person does ops. Another person potentially does legal, right? Like all that stuff, like it, it just bringing that together can, 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 call that out so the, from the whole team thing do you think that because you were a firefighter for 10 years that you, that makes more sense to you and when you came over to emergency management especially from that camaraderie that comes from the fire side do you think that emergency managers have that or do they not have that and if they don't why that's kind of like a really thick question but like how do we build the teammate and or camaraderie culture within emergency management
1: Oh, I love that. I, I think you're spot on and I'm, I'm taking notes. I don't. I just want to be clear. I'm not texting and stuff. I'm taking notes on what you're saying because I want to make sure I uh, find the points. Yeah. Um, so we'll go into kind of reverse order. Um, we've been really um, intentional lately about starting with why. So yes. uh, Simon Sinek, uh, start with why. I mean, I a, yeah. a, a, a proselytize uh, Simon Sinek stuff and then also uh, General Crystal's team of teams. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. L. david and that's sh- turn the ship around. So if anyone wants to know what BDEM does, read those three books and you will understand intimately what we do. And then our job is to then go and live by what we say we do and actually do it. So what well, we've been very also very intentional, and I'm, I'm using that word on purpose because this is we're putting a lot of intent and, and purpose behind why we are doing these things. But for a long time, emergency management has looked like people like you and me. So it is a response oriented, um, often homogeneic community, military, police and fire. And there's decades behind that and the reasons why. And so I think it naturally has lent to a response oriented um, aspect. when you hear emergency management or Homeland Security. I think there's a lot of pictures in people's minds of, of you're responding to something. I don't know what that looks like, but it looks like probably a big hurricane or a tornado or a cyber event, in my mind, it's response oriented because naturally that's where this, this this industry kind of grew up out of with the functions in the late 90s and the early 2000s and post-Katrina. Uh, and there's a lot of historical stuff, you know, post-Vietnam, you know, um, soldiers coming back moving into the public service. There was a ton of retirement, you know, 10, 20, 30 years later, that's around 9-11. So then they retired into police, fire, you know, mercy uh, emergency management. So there's a lot of demographic and sociological sociological trends that influence how emergency management has staffed our, um, our functions for the last 20 years. So what we're trying to do as a team is to get a, get a broader sense, a better worldview that informs how we look at things. So if we are not taking advantage of speaking to people in finance and complex derivatives and uh, budgets and grants Uh, we are losing a major aspect of what we do as emergency managers. Uh, And there's a good chance they have a very diverse background and a different way of thinking than we do, and we need that. The piece is that I'm, and and we do that throughout our agency so that we can really, when we're, and we did this exercise yesterday, uh, we say, John, what did you want to be when you grew up? And what did you do before you came to VDEM? What was your last job? And you can really quickly see that everybody in the agency, probably 80 or 90%, um, they weren't first responders so i think we've done a good job at making sure that emergency management reflects the communities that we serve and also the complexities that we also are responsible for so to the next piece of uh, we're, we're you know working backwards is camaraderie so start with why turn the ship around a team of teams those are great in concept but without camaraderie they're they're almost useless to a certain degree because you have to prove to people that you actually they, these aren't just things up on a wall we actually believe them so i to your point exactly so my, my father was a he's a retired police officer i was in the fire service i started very young did nine or ten years i, I was I just started my tenth year when i decided to go to law school um, so I, I you know i'm using air quotes for people who are listening I grew up in the fire service i grew up in public safety and when you know my godfather was a k9 officer you know my dad's partner uh, so I grew up in that mentality of you take care of each other. And so I think the, the biggest piece that this industry has um, benefited from is that because it has been populated for the first couple of decades of its, um, you know, uh, incipient stages by people that have embedded camaraderie to watch each other's back and take care of each other and to do the right thing and to be ethical. Um, I think that is really we've benefited from it. Like at the beginning, we talked about things we've benefited from and, and maybe, you um, Dealing with that maybe aren't so ideal. This is one of those things we've benefited from. So there's some natural camaraderie that comes in a space where you're doing things and nobody else can do, and we're the we're the 911 of 911s. So when locals can't, um, are unable to, or can't meet the need of the incident, they call us, and then we call FEMA, and then that's it. That really is, and then it's relationship based and our leverage and diplomacy and ambassador skills to bring other peoples to the ta- other people to the table. Uh, so that, that touches on camaraderie. And if John, if you want to throw a punch at, me at any point, tell me and we'll, and we'll, and I'll stop. But this then goes into, um, and one of the topics of, of the podcast that we had chatted about was the, the VDM experience. So we embedded in April of 2020, um, the McChrystal group here in in VDM, and we've had them for about 30, 31 months now, literally sitting side by side with us. So, um, for those who haven't read it, I highly recommend Team of Teams and General Crystal. Really quick snapshot. Um, he led the uh, Command Joint Special Operations Command um, in Iraq and Afghanistan and the lessons they learned from how to build capacity and utilize resources that exist through information sharing, liaison, diplomacy, being an ambassador. <coughs> you have access to a deeper pool of information sharing and shared consciousness than just throwing more bodies at the situation, right? It's the law of diminishing returns after a certain point. So April of 2020, we've embedded McChrystal group, and we are now living team of teams and everything we do. We've, we've modified our organizational chart since then a couple times. Uh, we've updated about 300 policies and procedures, and I could go through the list of all the disasters and all the stuff we've done in the public administration space. But fundamentally, it comes down to, okay, how do we imbue or imbibe camaraderie throughout the agency? And we choose to do that through team of teams. And the fundamental aspect of that is empowering your teammates. So, John, if, if you're you know the the number two or the number one of the agency, and I just joined and I'm closest boots on the ground, and we're, we're not there yet. We have a lot of work to do, but ideally, my information space and my authority are they're matched. So I shouldn't have to go to my boss who goes to their boss who goes to their boss who goes to agency head to make a decision to come back down, to come back down, to come back down. You should make that decision, understanding the why, understanding the global perspective, understanding how your decision impacts everything, everything everyone else does. Well, how do you do that? How, how would I have that information? We put you in a room every week with agency head and the number two and myself and senior staff. We stop. We're trying to. I'm trying to push people to stop using the word leadership, using air quotes again, because we're all leaders. So, the Turn the Ship Around book by L. David Marquette is we now empower, and again, we have more work to do, but I've seen a tipping point. October 2022 was the tipping point. We empower those that are closest to the issue. And because every week we've had 125 plus all agency, if you an all hands meeting, we do that every week, every Thursday for an hour and a half. So you get to hear directly from the agency head and the number two every single week and then we split the agency up in half you hear from half in the headquarters half in the regions <coughs> and then we flip it the next week and then on gray weeks there's special projects updates so if you don't have the information you need you can't make the best decision so you need the information and we're all seeing what each other are doing and that builds a team because otherwise you're just really refined cylinders of excellence. And I need to know what your team is doing, because I don't want to make a decision that negatively impacts your team. So we put everyone in the room, virtually, um, we've been doing this because it was COVID, but 125 all hands meetings. So anyone that's listening, think about the last time you heard from your (coughs) CEO or organization leader, and how many times has he met as an all hands for your agency. I would guess it's probably not 125 times. So we have no other option to know exactly what we're doing. And then that drives standards and implementation and camaraderie. (coughs) Sorry, allergies going crazy. So hopefully that kind of captures a little bit of why starting in reverse and then to where, how, how we implement it.
0: So from, man, there was, um, this is going to be the biggest tangent in the world, but I'm an Italian. And I grew up in a home that we spoke over each other constantly. And I'm so proud of myself that I let you finish your thought before I jumped in. <laughs> so from the from, there's a lot to unpack there. Let's starting starting backwards for a second. Uh, there are some people in my company that hear from me 125 times a week. And I, w- I think they wish they didn't. There's other people which I, I think that they, they, uh, uh, we, they get to hear from me once a month. So maybe there's some balance that we need to talk there. The three resources Correct. that you, yeah, the three resources that you just called out are absolutely phenomenal, and I'm going to add a couple to that. In fact, you named four. Um, the the two that I'll add on to that is, uh, and actually, I'm going to say this for my audience: if you start telling me stop saying it, then I'll stop saying it. But until you say stop saying it, I'm going to keep on telling you to read this book. It's called Social Vulnerability and Disaster, and is written by three researchers. Um, who looked at a bunch of uh, disasters all globally uh, from basically an anthropology perspective of how does culture play into the fact of response? What happens when a bunch of people who are not from that area go into a response and don't know how to work with the community because they didn't build up uh, that problem and, uh, or that, uh, that success? And I know this because I served on the national strike team where I would go into a community and that'd be the, my first look at that community. And um, having that that anthropology background ever you know, studied that in my master's, huge one. So that's the first one. The second one is Call Sign Chaos uh, by General Mattis. And the reason why I call that, you talk about leadership, everybody's a leader. He talks a lot about leadership and using um, his experiences in war to explain that. The other thing he does is he names about 80 books in that, in his own literature, where he's like, hey, study these if you want to be better. And- like I just couldn't, I couldn't even keep up with it. I was like, "All right, like I need to make this list and uh, start plowing through that." <clears throat> Let's go all the way to the front of the of your statement where you yeah. talked about your why, the why, the how, yeah. and the what. Um, for the sake of our listeners, just summarizing uh, Simon's, um, there's a TED Talk on it. It's really great. Um, it says most organizations start with what, then they right. get into why or the how, and then they get into uh, Than to to their why, but you need to really start with your why. After listening to that TED talk, I took about six months with my senior staff to say, whiteboard this, you know, erase everything. Let's start with our why, and we are so much more effective, not only in Doberman but also the Readiness Lab and this podcast and really everything we do because we have a mission. Now, funny enough, you talk about the responder mindset. I'm going to change that a little bit, if, if you will, and we can have yeah. a, a lively discussion. I believe emergency managers are emergency managers, and they should be helping out emergencies. But that, that includes all phases of the disaster life cycle. If I'm an expert in what happens in a response then I know all the things I want to do to stop a response from happening. I can mitigate, I can coordinate with the public, I can do all that stuff. It's a strategic role. It's not a tactical role. And I think that's the big thing. I, I, I put a controversial video out there the other day where I said, emergency managers are first responders, but they're not tacticians. And really what that means is, I I have seen in USAR, because USAR asked for emergency planners in conflict zones. I have friends in emergency management there. I have uh, uh, friends helping out in active shooters. I've been in an active shooter. All that stuff. Was I tactical? Absolutely not. And I would never even try to come close to claiming that I was. But as a support system, as a coordination in that response, I try to do everything I could to mitigate a response from happening. And when that response happens to make that response as short as possible and then get into recovery, i.e. new normal, better normal, hopefully um, beyond that. And so it, even though we're, we're partners in the emergency supports uh, functions, ESFs, you know, I, I wouldn't wanna take away from what, what tacticians do. Um, at the same time, from a strategic perspective, working in the public sector and the private sector I can't name another industry where the tactical is in charge of the strategic, but the best industries empower the tactical to make decisions without strategic. So to your point, right? So um, one of the call outs I made on a podcast maybe a few weeks ago was, why would you hire intelligent people and then not allow them to make decisions for you? Right. hundred percent. Like I would want my SIDL, my situation unit lead to be able to say, Hey, based off of this situation, this is what I think you should do because I can see these gaps. And, you know, historically we'd, we'd take we take these SIT reports. Here's your SIT rep. And then we're like, Oh, okay. Nice to know information. But that person has all this other, you know, and that's just one person. There's, there's people across the board uh, who do that. Andy John is a fantastic um, yeah. example of that from a person who is a, uh, uh, Deputy Ops Chief, when I worked with him on the strike team, all the way through what he does now, I'm sure he's empowered to work and make decisions in his region. He doesn't have to call that up. And so t- a, that team of teams approach. Focusing on our why as emergency managers is so important to our field right now. Pete Gaynor came out with a great, great, great article about the third phase of emergency management and how it needs to change because more and more people are knowing who we are. We need to create standards for our industry. I could have wrote that article myself. I feel the exact same way. We need to figure out who we are. We need to have a definition that makes sense for VDEM, as well as the right. emergency manager who works in NYC, uh, you know, uh, emergency management, or that hospital, that the university. We need to standardize our field. And we then need to take the unique opportunities of whatever that sphere of influence uh, makes to figure out how we are going to do the job and then dive into what we're actually going to do to accomplish all of that and never get away from it. Like we've had so much mission uh, creep over the last 20 years. And to the point we've been still trying to figure out what we do, but at one point we gotta be able to say as an industry, you know, we are the strategic coordination of emergency services and uh, across all phases of the disaster life cycle. So that's my call out. So I have a, a slightly different perspective there. But to, again, to your credit, because I'm talking along here, this is why I'm a podcaster, that mentality of the tactical side of emergency response bleeding into emergency management, I believe has limited uh, what we believe we can do and how influential we can be. If people, you know, if they have a law enforcement perspective, that tactical perspective, command and control, they can be very effective if they can learn the skills of coordination and collaboration. But if they try to take over that same perspective into emergency management, they'll have such a limited scope, same with fire, EMS, or anything else. And so emergency managers, I was never a first responder in terms of the perspective of tactical. I have two degrees in emergency management. I've always been on emergency management teams. And I, again, I have a lot of friends who were were also not in the services, the tactical services. And that's pretty fun to see because I think we also come up with fun, and innovative ideas to help reduce the impact of life, property, and continuity of operations. Wow. I just talk a lot right. too. So yeah, uh, where do we, where we there? what's your perspective on that? Do you, do you agree, disagree? What are your thoughts?
1: Yes. Yeah. No, I, I love it. And I think that the cool thing is in emergency management is it can be what we want it to be. So I, I think I would pull out a thread that, that you had mentioned about standardization. And I think if we're, if we're talking about an ultimate standard to me, it's replicating the state department. I know it sounds a little weird. Interesting. But we are, we are all diplomats. And if you're yeah. at a state or a federal level, right, what are your regional offices? They are nothing more than embassies. You yes. don't control the pieces. You don't control the, the, you know, if we're using right. a chess metaphor, um, the set, what, what can you do? You leverage your relationships to influence positively the communities that need it the most, right? So you're a diplomat. So if we're talking about standardization, my global perspective would be, how does the state department recruit foreign service officers? What are the things they're looking at? Because in in private sector is a little different and then feds and and local and state, uh, everyone has a different flavor if you work for a college or a healthcare system. But at the end of the day, emergency managers are understaffed and under resourced. So what do you bring to the table? your ability to bring others to the table. That that fundamentally is what you do. So if, you, if yeah. we're looking for a standard skill, is your ability to communicate the why and that to encourage and empower others to set the table, to get them in the room. If you can't get them in the room, get them on the phone. If you can't get them on the phone, assign someone in the room to represent that person or that stakeholder group's interests. So mm-hmm. We don't want consensus, right? But I think if we're looking for a standard, it's diplomats. Because then if you're a diplomat and you're focused on the customer and, and the ultimate goal, you can reverse engineer all the other component pieces that get all five phases of emergency management. And then also one of the things that I just wanted to, what you had mentioned about the first responder part, I, I don't disagree at all. And I would, I would take it one step further and I, I would kind of zoom out a little bit. I think there's a spectrum here. And the way we've been talking about this at at the state level, and again, this is different. Everyone has their own kind of flavor of how this works for them, um, is that we've been trying to figure out a way to identify what we do. We simplify, we simplify complexities, we simplify complex events. So one of the things that we've had a hard time over the last, because I've had a chance to work with three administrations and then two at the federal level, is that communicating what emergency management does is very hard to do because there's management. People kind of get it. emergency. Okay. They're somewhere in the emergency space, but they don't know. Is that police fire EMS, right? It's, it's kind of nebulous. Yeah. So when we reframe it as we help simplify complexity, because for example, the state of the union is not an emergency nor is it a disaster, but emergency Mm -hmm. managers are building the, the, the virtual or the, uh, I want to say scaffolding, not the real scaffolding, but like the, the metaphorical scaffolding
0: infrastructure.
1: infrastructure, There you go. But that's not a disaster, nor it is an emergency. And so we can run through the list of the dozens and dozens of events we've had here in the Commonwealth over the last couple of years. But for an example would be operations, allies, welcome. You know, that's a disaster in an international space that landed here in Dulles and they were leaving uh, Afghanistan, you know, a a C-130 every 47 minutes. And that turned on a dime. And we don't own any of that space other than repatriated citizens. But then we had 50, 60, 70,000 Afghans at risk that all of a sudden now were then coming over and it was only through Dulles for the first 126, 140 hours. Uh, so if we don't, if we're talking about first response, our ability in this spectrum is to bring others to the table. And so we, that was a state department operation on domestic soil supported by department of defense. The commonwealth's only role with our other state partner agencies was repatriating citizens and, and i'm i would say credential americans i know that's not the right term and I'm, I'm not trying to be offensive i just can't think of it um and then everyone that that was literally evacuated from a war zone you know the day before and so the way that we we try to really talk about this now and i think we've got some traction is that when we talk about uh, the inauguration between uh, or the transition between the last governor and the new governor, that's not a disaster, nor is an emergency. But we are at the table. We are setting the table and we are making sure everyone sees what everyone else is doing because we're, we're bigger than emergencies. And I'm, I'm not I'm not diminishing what you're saying, but I'm actually saying at the next level, we're actually bigger than that. And I don't think people give themselves credit that we actually do pretty much anything anyone throws at us. So if we're talking about standards, right, and like if we want to get yeah. to a standard, it would be um, understanding the big picture. So I would see a generalist being the standard, and then you would have specialties, right? And, and McKinsey calls it their consultants. They want a T. They can go wide and deep. Um, but another thread, and you also know, know I talk a lot, but I would say that like, like again, I found like, my replacement. This is great. That's right. And I'm sure our weekly all-hands meeting, if you ever want to join, you'll be like, oh, my God, how do these guys listen to this every week? Um, (laughs) I'm excited to listen to it. In that broader spectrum of complexity, complexity simplified. And if anyone takes that, I'll come after them. I haven't trademarked it yet for VDEM, but that really is what we do. So HR, IT, policy. We we run all of um, uh, GIS for the Commonwealth out of our shop here all 911 in PSAPs. We run 120 something of them. They coordinate all the infrastructure for that out of our our office, our agency. (coughs) But just to give you an example of one of our 14 or 15 divisions, grants and recovery, just one program has 1600 projects with over 1.2 billion in management. That's one team. And that's a lot of complexity. So I would just I would challenge people to think bigger that we are called to do anything people want us to do. And we do it really, really well.
0: I have long said that whoever came up with the term emergency manager was a genius because typically we don't have the authority to, to manage, but it lets people think that we're in charge. Um, you know, funny enough, the, as we're just talking, I'm, I'm, this is, uh thinking on the spot here so please take that with a grain of salt but it's almost like an emergency manager like really a better term i've said emergency management emergency manager a better term for that in the past i've said emergency coordinator but as you're talking about the state department perspective i was in london with uh lloyds of london and thinking emergency management so much more like insurance and uh the the way of like risk management and so it's like almost like anti-risk coordinator is like probably the most appropriate title for what we That's do right. as a field anti-risk coordinator because you know what you're talking about when you say it's not emergencies what you're really talking about is preventing emergencies an emergency could come from the form of an active shooter to a wildfire it could also come from a political disaster it can come from a communication right. disaster risk from uh, you know, working with your community, all that goodwill that you build up in a community and you just have this one moment of stupidity and it all crumbles. And so it, it really is risk um, and understanding risk. I think we're leaving a lot of tools on the table to look at risk. Um, as a guy who left uh, emergency management to work for a large tech company as the head of business intelligence there for project management, at least, the the skill sets I immediately had like two or three like aha moments in that first week of working there. One was I was taught the skill set to do this job in the uh, in a sector that has nothing to do with emergencies. So we do really good at project management. Two, why don't we push emergency managers to get their a project management certification? Because that's a lot what we do. And three, uh Emergency managers, if they learn the skill sets of communication because it's a coordination role, are phenomenal. But as I've met with emergency managers around the country, I would say that emergency managers, to your point, um, are really struggling with even defining what they do or who they are because we can do everything. And um, I think it's kind of hurt our influence, honestly. like What i like to say is, People, stakeholders, sometimes view us as, I have to work with that emergency manager. manager." We want them to change their perspective saying, oh, thank goodness the emergency manager showed up. Whatever the case is, whether an active emergency or anti-risk coordinator, um, you know, all that stuff. And we really need to address, I think maybe it comes even down to better training of, how many times are PIO, uh, finance, uh, legal involved in, in, in exercises what we do? And then everybody always right lives. Right. Yep. You know, so it's like, That's right. That's right. you know, we need to <laughs> we need to kind of address that. For the sake of time. I love that. We're definitely going to have you back on. And if I ever get sick, Dylan, I'm giving you a call and say, hey, can you, uh, can you record this next week for me? <laughs> uh, well, I'll, I'll shoot
1: your invite for the forum. You're more than welcome to join.
0: I would love to. I love to listen in especially because it sounds like VDEM is really doing things right over there and a model potentially for a lot of other agencies by, um, by addressing the why first and the team of teams perspective. Um, as we're wrapping this up here, you obviously have a wealth of knowledge and experience working in creating VDEM's own version of why and creating potentially that model. As I'm, as I'm potentially getting into emergency manager, speaking of the, the field, those people who are getting in are like, okay, I want to do this, right. I want to be incredibly influential, help the most amount of people tackle big problems. I like problem solving all that stuff. Where do they start? Do they start with reading the literature or do they start with going into jobs with, with expectations? And can you define those expectations for the job?
1: So this does to be the weirdest question ever, or weirdest answer to a question like that. So if you're listening in, um, And you see this is where you start someone's walking into your building or your school or your your apartment and they have their hands full (coughs) walk over to them and ask them can you give them a hand grab the door pick up a hold a bag grab a box you now just started your career in emergency management that's it so i really boil it down to if someone's walking in and you can whatever that looks like right and you can find how these opportunities in your own life every day. But it it starts as something as simple as asking somebody if you can help them or opening a door. And you'll be surprised the more times you see that. That translates very, very, very specifically to what we do at the state level. We're working with the governor's office and we're bringing other state agency partners into the room, is how can we help you? How can we open the door? How can we carry something for you? We're not saying you need to give this in the room and we need to be a part of this conversation, is we are bringing value. And then through our diplomacy skills and knowing all the systems and the levers of government and access to finance and how to scale to save lives right we are opening the door and caring stuff for them and they see a value there so in terms of the macro that's where you start in terms of the micro start networking start calling people reach out to linkedin and i'll put this in perspective when i was trying to get into law school uh, I have no business being in, in law school. Uh, I was, you know, uh, I think I truly think they let me in because they they wanted to stop getting emails from me. Um, I had 500. I sent 500 cold calls or emails, 500, and then I met with a hundred of them in person. And then when I wanted to get a job, probably two or three hundred coffees, uh, network. And when you're networking, and I and yes, you can read all the books in the world, and I think you should. You should be reading one a week. That should be your minimum goal there's something tangible you could take out of this, read one book a week or listen to one book a week in perpetuity. Um, is that when you're networking people, you're not asking them to do something for you. You're asking them how they got where they are and what would they recommend for someone in your shoes. And that's it. And then if they'd be willing, would do they have someone else that they think that you could talk to that would also provide some insight? And that's it. You're not asking for, for favors. You're taking nuggets out. And then that always leads to something else, just like how John and I met, right? Network, be a good person, hold the door, ask someone if they can, you know, if they need your help. And then yeah, listen or read to books, one a week should be the minimum. And then if you wanna, you know, further dial in from there, I have plenty of uh, ways you could do that. Um, I'm looking for, to give you an example, we just hired someone that has very, very, very little emergency management experience, but he managed a Trader Joe's. To me, if you've ever been in a Trader Joe's, those are the, those people are amazing. They're, 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 they're diplomats, right? They're Trader Joe's diplomats, right? Each one of those little embassies, little Trader Joe's embassy, right? We can teach emergency management, but like when you're a good person, that's where we start. So I know it's a long answer, but that hold a door and ask someone if they can, if they need a hand, and then now you're in emergency manager.
0: It's the right answer. Emergency management, emergency management at its core. I can't talk today. Uh, is humanitarian. If you like yeah, people right. and you like you care about people, it's it's a great place to start. Fatigue is real, and that's maybe for another episode. Yeah. But definitely, like that's always the baseline. It's like we care about people, and uh, I, I think that's a, a fantastic call out. I think we might be calling this episode something like diplomats and ambassadors. <laughs> I think it's a great analogy and and it's really. Weird, also, yeah a case study even um of looking at the state department and and i love the idea of hiring process of what that looks like even you covered a lot of different topics uh that i would actually want to follow up on i'm sure the audience has has as well in terms of the networking piece professors forced me into that as well when i was in my undergrad like i gave a presentation at uh, a national symposium of higher ed about emergency management when i was a junior And I passed out a business card at the end that just had my name and said, uh, my, my Gmail and want a, I want a uh, informational interview and I awkwardly went around every single person in that auditorium and I gave them my business card and I got a ton of interviews. Yeah. I I knew what I wanted to do afterwards. And I actually got job offers out of it. uh, Yeah. So like you, you made the right calls out of there. In fact, I, um, Man, there's, we could talk about this forever, but you, you gave the mic drop, so I'm not going to try to steal the thunder. Um, Dylan, again, thank you so much for coming on this podcast for sharing oh, I appreciate your knowledge God. with us. Yeah. And honestly, it sounds like VDEM, everyone we've talked with VDEM has uh, been really phenomenal. And ex- now you've explained to me why that's is you're instilling a culture into your team that is enhancing their influence and their capability across the spectrum. And uh, really kudos to both you and VDEM for doing that.
1: Thanks, John. And just just to clarify, um, we are doing it. I just happen to be in a, in a different position that I get to, to amplify it, but we collectively do it together. So Fantastic. I, I appreciate it.
0: Great call out there. So to uh, Dylan's point about networking and LinkedIn specifically, You better start following us on Disaster Tough Podcast, not just listen. Follow us on the podcast. Follow the Readiness Lab on this podcast network. We're always sharing ideas. We're talking about standardization, the ultimate standard, as Dylan called out. We're talking about our culture and and trying to address uncomfortable topics across the field so that we can enhance our capabilities. So make sure you follow us. Subscribe, all the things, five-star rating. If you like this episode, tell us on social media, whether LinkedIn or otherwise, If you have a question for Dylan or for VDEM, all the books that he referenced in this, put a comment on LinkedIn, not just email us. We like the emails, but the comments saying, hey, tell me more. And I'm sure uh, Dylan, he's very active on LinkedIn. He gave us a big thumbs up there. So do that and we'll see you for the next one.